welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. You know, I picked the name of the show a long, 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 long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, High Energy Health. And I thought about what people want. And of course, what people want is health. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, to the person who has health, he wants many things. To the person who doesn't have health, he only wants one thing. <laughs> so health really is the foundation of what we want. And if you know people sometimes who maybe have everything else going for them, but they don't have the vitality to enjoy it, they really do suffer. And so health really is this foundation of well-being. And then energy. I'm shocked when I'm in live classes and I meet people who talk about low energy. And some of them are young and with our guest today, we'll get into this a little bit as we cover this topic, but some of them are only 25 years old, 27 years old. I remember being with my mentor, Norm Sheely, once. Norm is a, a trained doctor. He's a neurosurgeon, and he was trained at Harvard, and he also founded the American Holistic Medical Association in 1977. One of these great figures in modern American medicine. Norm is also a walking encyclopedia of energy medicine. He knows everything about everything when it comes to energy medicine. And we were sitting at a, a table doing a book signing at the Whole Life Expo many years ago. And next to us, another author was doing a book signing. And so Norm and I would watch people coming up to the other author, talking to him. People would come up to us, talk to us. But one of the things that we were struck by was that many of the people coming up to the author at the table next to us were, again, in that demographic, 20-something years old, and they were often complaining about things like poor digestion, poor sleep, and low energy levels. And Norm and I were just looking at each other and thinking, wow. I mean, if we were in a geriatric clinic and we had a bunch of 85-year-olds out to us, and you know, maybe we would have advice for them and be sympathetic, but these were people 60 years too young to be having those problems. And so I really began to think about energy, energy levels, what generates energy, what generates high energy. So high energy and health. Don't just be healthy, but have that maximum level of high energy. And what you'll find as you apply the principles, as you listen to the guests on the show, as you apply the techniques, the practical strategies they recommend, is you'll find your energy level going up. We talk a lot about energy biology, energy medicine, energy therapy, energy healing, energy psychology, and it is remarkable what happens when you start meditating on a regular basis. Not just meditating occasionally or when you're in crisis, meditating every single day. And if you've been to one of my live workshops, and in fact, some of my virtual ones as well, you'll know that when I do a workshop, I, I did one at Energy Fest recently with Don Eden. And so it's Don Eden's Energy Fest. And what I do at the end of almost every presentation is I have everyone in the room, I ask people after I've done meditation with them and shown them what's possible, I say, I'm going to ask you to commit to a daily practice for at least the next 30 days. And I want everyone who's going to do that to raise their hands. 
And everyone in the room raises their hands, and a few people don't raise their hands. So I stand there on stage, and I look at them. <laughs> and they start to squirm uncomfortably in their chairs, and then they raise their hands. We all have our hands raised at that point, and then they go out and they start doing it. And you start doing it, and after a while, it becomes a habit. You get so addicted to the well-being you experience in meditation that you keep on doing it far beyond the 30 days. And as if you've read my new book, This Brain, you will know about the study showing, for example, that meditation raises the levels of dopamine in your brain up to 65%. I mean, that's like a shot of cocaine or heroin. Cocaine Cocaine and heroin are heavily implicated in the reward circuit at the base of the brain and the dopamine response. And so those drugs, people think they want cocaine. They don't. They want dopamine. And you get loads of it when you meditate. So if you meditate and practice every day for that 30 days consistently or 60 days more than that, for 90 days, go a step further, you will find your body is habituated to that dopamine, and that gives you motivation. Dopamine is get up and go. Dopamine is goal-driven, and that's what you get in your brain, one of, one of seven neurochemicals that I share with you in my book, Bliss Brain. So for a copy of the book, go to blissbrain.com. Also, download the free eight free meditations you get there. So you get the book free of charge at thisbrain.com. You do pay shipping and handling. And then you also get eight free meditations. Use those meditations. You will find, starting with dopamine, they will really help you shift into that motivational space and then stay there. So use the techniques you hear here on High Energy Health. Don't just listen and be inspired. We have amazing people People are doing remarkable things in their own lives and for their clients, but use the inspiration here to have a practical program of applying these techniques in your life. And the guest I'll introduce in a moment or two give you techniques for getting out of chronic conditions, chronic pain, chronic low energy, all those things that sap your energy long term. And you'll find as you hear his approach that he really has a heart for this. He really has and emotional intensity around helping people to get out of those situations where they're dealing with things like pain over and over and over again. So I'll go ahead and give you information about him and how to reach him as well. But for one basic practice, fundamental practice of meditation, go to blissbrain.com, get the free copy of the book, download the free meditations, and just practice them for that 30 days. I can't have you raise your hand because I can't see you. I can't stand there on the edge of the stage staring at you. <laughs> But metaphorically, I am. I'm encouraging you. I'm not casual about this. And don't be casual about your well-being. Use these techniques you hear here on High Energy Health. Apply them in your life. Take notes during today, and you will find things that can move the needle in your life. It might be one small practice, and you implementing that practice suddenly makes everything else fall into line. So again, leave every episode of High Energy Health with a plan a strategy, what you'll apply in your life. And you'll find things that work for your lifestyle, you'll apply them, and then you will do better and better and better. And eventually you'll have not just health, but incrementally you'll find your energy level rising to the point where you are just jumping into life every day with an incredibly enthusiastic spirit, approach, and view of the future. So I'm so thrilled to have today as our guest Rick Olderman. He is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist with more than 25 years of experience who specializes in helping people with chronic pain experience a pain-free life. He graduated with a master's degree from the Craner School of Physical Therapy at the University of Indianapolis, and his clinic is in Denver, Colorado. 
He is also author of the popular Fixing You series of books on Amazon.com. In fact, that's how I found Rick. I was wandering around Amazon one day. I came across uh, one of his books. I looked at his author profile. I said, I want this guy to share on high energy health. So his website again is Rick Olderman, Rick, O-L-D-E-R, RickOldman.com. Rick, it is such a joy to have you here. Thank you so much, Dawson, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And just when you were just talking about energy just a minute ago, my energy went up with that quote that you gave at the beginning, <laughs> because I have a new book coming out next year. And that quote is in the introduction of my new book. And it goes more like a wealthy man has a thousand wishes, but a sick man has but one. And so oh, I, I feel like, oh, we're speaking the same language here. This will be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you no, know, speaking of energy, I look at the information that the people on High Energy Health share with our community, but their energy too is so important to me. And I just love the energy that you showed and you brought to your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So how did you get into this? And what is the, the origin point for what you do now? I wandered quite a bit in my life before I found physical therapy. And I suffered from back pain and decided to go to PT school, physical therapy school, to learn the insider secrets to back pain. And so what I found was there were no secrets that were had. <laughs> the focus in PT school and, and most medical schools is understanding components of things. For instance, a disc bulge or a disc herniation or, you know, torn tissues and things like that and treating those tissues. But there's nothing that's answering the question of why those issues are happening. Intuitively, I felt that was what the answer was to solving pain. And that kind of bore out when I went to my first job as a orthopedic physical therapist, and I could help people with pre or post-surgical things or sprains or strains. But anyone who came in with any kind of chronic recurring issue, I just was a complete failure at. And I was sunk into a deep depression because of that, because it felt like this was what I was meant to be doing. And here I was terrible at it. And that's the worst feeling in the world. And and so I just decided I needed to buckle down and try to figure this out, even though I felt like this should have been figured out before I even went to PT school, but apparently it, it really wasn't. And this is kind of borne out in my clinic. I train all of my new therapists and none of them understand this information either. So looking at the body as, as a system isn't really what's taught in our schools. It's looking at the body as a series of components and treating an elbow or treating a shoulder or treating a back as solving pain rather than treating the system that's causing those problems. So looking at the, the human being holistically and the entire system of things and how one is related to the other? Yes. So my focus is primarily the musculoskeletal system, right? I break the body down into two operating systems musculoskeletally. So one is anyone with back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, that's all one system. That's the lower body and back and pelvis system. And then anyone with any upper body pain, including headaches, you know, neck pain or whatever, that is the upper body system. And that starts at the pelvis and I go up. So really there's just two exams. And over the years I've, you know, honed in on the major problems that are, are causing most people's pain. And so my exams are, while comprehensive, they're very simple. And so that's really what I'm looking at. My results have become so consistent over the years that if someone is not responding to my approach, it's usually because of one of three things are happening. One is there's an undiagnosed structural problem, like a tear that hasn't been diagnosed. 
or there's another system that's impinging on the musculoskeletal system. And that could be like a dietary issue or an allergen, mold, things like that, that we ingest that are causing an inflammatory response. And the third is emotional, psychological, or spiritual type of issues that then also are, you know, increasing tension in that musculoskeletal system. So I've learned to incorporate those other two. I'm not trained in those. So I don't treat people from that point of view, but if they're not responding, then I definitely point them in those directions. Yeah, and you have to have all of those addressed as well, because some people really do well when they are, say, for example, getting into nutrition and finding that many things are now improving their lives. They then can become nutritional evangelists. And so they become evangelistic about their nutritional approach. And I teach energy psychology and people start learning EFT acupressure tapping or they'll learn even energy medicine and they'll get fantastic results. They'll become evangelists for that. And then they'll forget about, about things like, you know, proper posture, proper nutrition and everything. So it's really powerful to see yourself holistically and then to look at all three of those components and see what your leverage points are. Yes, exactly. And, and like I said, my, my focus is the musculoskeletal system and I, I dabble in the other two. But I'm, I'm really not trained in, in that area. But I'm very open and, and I believe that these other systems are often frequently the cause of a lot of people's pain. So I have a theory I've developed over the years. And all of us have this critical threshold above which we have pain. And I believe there are three primary big pillars that are pushing us up to that threshold. And one is, you know, a physical or musculoskeletal issue. Another is that dietary allergens, mold, things like that, that we're responding to that we're ingesting in some way. And the third is the emotional, psychological, spiritual side of things. And it could be some combination of those three is happening in nearly everyone with chronic pain. Sometimes it's more musculoskeletal. Sometimes it's an emotional trauma. You just never know. You know, one of the curious things that I heard about many, many years ago, when I moved to California in 1998, and I walked into the office of one psychotherapist and I saw a massage table in the side of her office. I, I said, that's a little odd. I'm, you know, you're, you're a therapist. I mean, I might see a couch there, but a massage table. And she said, oh, I used to be a massage therapist and I became a, ther a psychotherapist because I was giving people massages and I would touch the muscles and suddenly they would go spontaneously into recall of a traumatic memory. And I realized that so often we're burying our unhealed wounds, psychological wounds, spiritual wounds in our muscles and sometimes just the the muscular manipulation will help to release them other times it's a psychological release and then what Wilhelm Reich called body armor drops away so we really are these systems and it's powerful to go and use all those entry points to our, our well-being to see what it is we can most do do most effectively to help shift ourselves absolutely I've had those experiences myself and I kind of look at it as this yin yang symbol right the mind affects the body and the body affects the yes. mind and you know it's all one thing yeah I like like the idea of simplifying to the point, it's either that lower body or the upper body, you take it from there. So where do you go from there once you've figured out where it is and what the, the systemic issue is, at least in terms of the muscular skeletal system? Yeah, well, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just give you a little demonstration of what I'm talking about. Right. I find it's much more helpful if people can feel what I'm talking about rather than just hear me. So those of you at home listening to this, what I'm going to ask you to do is, and, and we're going to target back pain because that's the most common you know, physical complaint that most people have. So everyone, please lie down on your backs with your legs straight on the floor. And it could be on your couch or on your bed too, whatever is most comfortable for you. And lie there for about 30 seconds or a minute. And I want you to feel what your back feels like in this position, especially if you have back pain. And so many of you, you know, will have a difficulty getting down on the floor. So a soft bed or something like that is, is just as fine. All right. So now that your legs have been straight for a little while and you feel what your back feels like in this position, now bend your knees and see how your back feels in this position. 
And if you don't notice a difference, then go ahead and hug your knees to your chest and if that feels better for you. So I bet you can probably know which position most people would feel better in. What would you say? Well, you'd think that this lying down flat would be the best because they are just being supported in every part of their body that way. Yeah, well, actually, uh, you could take a poll of your listeners, actually. So most of them will probably respond that their back feels much better when their knees are bent. Wow. And so what the, what is happening here is that if you straight, if those people then straighten their legs out again, they'll notice that their back is slightly arched off the ground more when their legs are straight than when their feet are bent. So we can draw that conclusion that, oh, okay, my back feels better when my back is flatter to the ground. But it's not so much that the shape of the spine becomes flatter. It could be also that we're removing all the things that are trying to pull your back into an arch when we bend those knees. So now those forces aren't acting on your back and your back assumes more of a natural curve. And so the way this plays out in real life is if all of those people now stand up and listen to the rest of your podcast, they'll notice that after about a minute, their knees start to lock backwards or lock straight. And so if you're standing, listening to this right now, go ahead and lock your knees straight if they haven't already started being locked and feel what your back feels like in this position. Okay, now go ahead and unlock your knees and you don't have to really go into a squat, but just slightly unlock them and feel what your back just did there. And if you're not sure, go ahead and lock the knees once more. And you'll feel that when you lock your knees, your back is more arched. So we just learned on the floor that when your back is more arched, it's less comfortable. There's more pain. And now we just found that your natural way of standing is to lock your knees and that your back is arched. So simply by unlocking your knees, you remove that one of the stresses that's causing your back to arch and it becomes flatter, just like it did on the floor, back will feel better. So it's a very simple, this is one of the first things I tell most people with back pain because this is the most common pattern, is that let's just start unlocking your knees and let's see how that feels in a few days. And sometimes I'll put a little piece of tape behind people's knees to remind them to unlock their knees because no one will ever remember as often as they need to. And this rocks their world. First of all, most people will experience a significant decrease in their back pain just with this one little tip. But secondly, they also realize, hey, I can't walk like this. Well, that's because their walking pattern is incorrect and that's contributing to their back pain. And so what we, my approach kind of looks at is not only these habits like standing or walking and sitting and all these kinds of things that are creating stress to the back, you have to fix the tighter, weak muscles that have developed because of those bad habits too. So it's kind of a one-two punch. If I fixed one without the other, well, your pain would come back pretty quickly. That, in a nutshell, that's kind of what my approach is about. Let's get into walking and correct and incorrect walking in the next segment, Rick. So we'll go ahead and go to a break right now. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. For more on Rick's work, go to his website, rickolderman.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health once again. I'm so glad you're here and being here and treating yourself to an hour of taking a deep dive into your own health and wellness is such an affirmation of your value. You are saying to yourself, I am important. I love myself enough to take this time out from my busy day and give it to me. I am here to restore myself. I'm here to love myself. I'm here to be inspired. I'm here to learn new techniques. This is for me. This is me time. And I so honor you for doing that because there's so much else going on there that 
wants to grab your eyeballs and focus you on things that are going wrong in the world and things that are going wrong in your life. And there are all these other inputs that are impinging on your consciousness. And to just carve out that 20, 30 minutes in the morning to meditate, to carve out that five minutes to de-stress after a stressful part of our day to when you're maybe driving or walking, exercising, when you're doing some other activity where you can have your your mind free, put on those headphones, listen to high energy health, focus, and then you're giving yourself that emotional and spiritual nurturing that's so important and it's so worthwhile for you. So by just being here, by showing up alone, <laughs> you've said, I deserve a wonderful life and I'm so grateful to you for doing that. That's why I do it. That's why I spend the time creating this, this show and you are creating the time yourself for that wonderful life and I honor you for just carving out the space in your daily life to do that. I know that the, uh, the, wonderful, the wonderful friend who puts on this podcast for me, she's been doing it for a long time, she just emails me every week and says, Dawson, you know, we're, our listenership is up by 15% and we've had two more episodes go live. And she's so enthusiastic to see the audience that this podcast has generated. And you may want to share it with other people as well, share it with people you know are suffering or need inspiration. But it's powerful to know that it's reaching people, motivating them, and they're making it a part of their lives. Make inspirational media part of every single day in your life. There's plenty of stuff out there to worry you. Give yourself things, inputs to your consciousness that inspire you and uplift you. And then again, for more on my new book, go to my website, lissbrain.com. For more on Rick's work, go to his website, Rick Olderman, O-L-D-E-R-Men, rickolderman.com. Rick, you were just mentioning that most people don't walk correctly. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I'm going to use a little skeleton to demonstrate what I'm talking about here. So what we just went over just a, a minute ago was that one of the most common patterns that causes back pain is excessive arching of the spine. And really, it's not so much the excessive arch in the spine. It's excessive forces trying to pull the spine into that arch. And walking and standing is one of those things. So I'm going to back up a little bit so you can see more of the skeleton. So when we straighten our knees like this, what happens mechanically is that the pelvis tilts forward naturally. And that's what then causes the back to arch more. But there's also something else that's happening is that we have these massive thigh muscles on the front of our legs. And they attach here at the knee, but they also attach to the very front tip of that pelvic bone too. And so if those muscles are tight, they will also tilt that pelvis forward. So the most common common problem that's happening with people's gait pattern is the same thing that we identified with standing. It's that people are walking with knees locked. And so what happens is they send a foot out and they do this nice big hard heel strike out of them. And then there's no reason for your body to respond to that other than your knee hyperextending. You're not asking your body at the point of contact with the ground for it to do anything. So everything is shut off and your pelvis is tilted forward. A better way of walking is to advance the body with the foot. And when that happens, we naturally engage all the muscles of the lower body system and the pelvis that stabilize this whole system naturally which then unloads the spinal arching that's occurring. It's quite simple, but it has to happen in stages for most people. I mentioned that little piece of tape behind people's knees initially. Usually what I do when I see this as a problem is I'll put a little, that little piece of tape behind their knees when their knees are slightly soft so that whenever they straighten their knees, they're going to feel that nice little tug of that tape, which is quite annoying for most people. But I have them keep that on for about three or four days. And usually that's going to teach them that, oh, to keep reminding them that, oh, I've got to keep unlocking those knees because it's 
it's an unconscious habit and it's a natural habit. And so you don't think that you're going to need to change that, but that tape will help you do that. Once we get people to break that habit of unlocking their knees, actually walking more correctly is a piece of cake for them because you can't walk correctly if your knees are locked. And if we teach them to unlock that, half the job is done already. So it's a very, no one gets out of my clinic. Anyone with back pain, hip pain, knee pain, or foot pain, no one gets out of my clinic without learning how to walk better because walking is ultimately one of the big stressors to the body system. In the Oriental Martial Arts, you're trained to keep your knees soft. And so there's a soft knee stance. You're in a very, very slight kind of almost like a crouch which also has that same effect. And one of the interesting things a physical therapist showed me recently was she had an image of a spine from a medical textbook in there. It just looked like, you know, just the spinal column and it just looked like what we always expect to see it look like. So the top was tilted slightly forward where the axis and atlas vertebrae meet your skull at the very top and of course rounded where your shoulders are, then that curve in the back and then going out toward the coccyx and where it meets the pelvis. And so we all looked at this and we're like, duh, this is just you know, image from a medical textbook. Then she showed us a medical textbook from 1890. And Rick, the modern one was this, was this big S shape with that arched spine. The one from 1890 was a pretty much flat spine and flat up top as well. So it was startling that 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the kind of spine you're describing was what we thought was normal. <laughs> yeah, so I think here's my theory about why we've developed this wrong walking pattern. And it's because most of our shoes have now these thick rubber soles on them, on the heel portion at least. And that allows us to strike a lot harder on the ground in, with the heel than what we would naturally do. If all of your listeners just walked around barefoot around the house and compared that to how they walk when they have their shoes on, they'll feel that there's quite a big difference in the two styles of walk. And so I think 150 years ago, they didn't have big rubber soles. <laughs> so they had to walk a little bit more correctly, which therefore reduces a lot of the forces that would be acting on the spine that way. Yeah. And of course, um, things like high heels weren't really in vogue back then. And even now I see people, you know, like so, some of the, uh, the men's shoes have really huge big, deep, thick heels. And so during the next segment, I want to get this more, and I talk also about other kinds of pain, not just uh, back pain, but other people who come in with, say, chronic head pain, chronic neck pain, and the other kinds of pain and how you approach it. And then also when you start to look with a chronic pain patient, when you start to look for things beyond the musculoskeletal system, what, what are your clues? What are things that trigger you saying, you know, there's something else going on here. You might have that tear it might be in a reaction from mold or something on, on, in your environment. And so you are finding ways that, finding little signs that suggest something else is going on. We'll cover that too in the next segment. So please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you inspiration and practical tools. For more on the meditations I've been developing over the last many years, get my new book, Bliss Brain, at blissbrain.com. It's free. You pay shipping and handling, and it also comes with eight free meditations at blissbrain.com. For more on Rick's work, go to his website, and that is just Rick, his first name, 
Olderman, his second name, Rick Olderman, and you'll find more about his work at rickoldman.com. Also, check out his series of books on Amazon called Fixing You. There's a whole series of these books. You know, Rick, let me just ask you a question that is somewhat selfish. I was actually holding off asking this earlier, but when I was a teenager, I grew really, really fast. I grew from like, you know, average height to six foot five in about two years. And I developed this big leg length discrepancy. My one leg was an inch and a half longer than the other. I wore a built up shoe for a while. I, uh, I also became the, as I moved into energy healing, energy therapies and faith healing, there were a lot of faith healers who said, Oh, I can fix that. They lay me down. They pray over me or they do their energy magic over me. And they'd say, no, I'm, I'm going to fix that leg length discrepancy. And, uh, I'm fortunate or unfortunate to have been prayed over or had energy healing from like many healers that, that thought they could fix it. But, you know, I've had MRI scans. They just measured it anatomically, the one leg is an inch and a half shorter than the other. And that's all there is to it. I've seen it as a gift because I've had to be really aware of everything I do to not injure myself and to take care of that. You mentioned to me during our break that that's one of the most common diagnoses you run into is leg length discrepancies. What is that and how do you work with that? Yeah, so what we're talking about here is basically uh, one leg being longer than the other. So probably in the 20 years that I've been, 25 years I've been at PT, I've probably seen, uh, maybe I'll, I can count on one hand the number of people who have had true leg length discrepancies. Yours, you say, is an inch and a half. That's quite a huge leg length discrepancy. Maybe you do truly have one, but maybe it's not truly a full inch and a half. So here's what's going on. And by the way, I had a mother one time bring in her daughter with an x-ray, full x-ray of her whole lower body system yeah. and say, see, here, here's her leg length discrepancy. I said, she does not have a leg length discrepancy. Yes, one side of the pelvis is higher than the other, but this is not a leg length discrepancy. We corrected it and the daughter instantly solved the balance and other issues that she had. So the way that most leg length discrepancies are determined is that someone looks at someone standing and they see one side of the pelvis that's higher than the other, okay? But if you think about this, if we're looking at it that way, we've got the SI joint, we've got the hip joint, we've got the knee joint, we've got the foot and ankle joint, and then we have the 26 joints of the foot. We've got innumerable places for errors to occur that would account for a leg length that is different than the other side. Leg length discrepancies should actually be measured from the top of the thigh bone to the bottom of this ankle bone. And so if most, if practitioners measured it like this, they would find that even though one hip is an inch and a half higher than the other, I've seen three inches even higher, that the leg is actually the same size, same, same length as the other leg. It's actually a compensation pattern that's happening in the body, causing it to, to hike up like this that makes it appear that there's a leg length discrepancy. Yes. Yeah. So you can treat that that other wherever it might be. It could be in the in the lower back, could be somewhere else in the body, and that'll often shift the apparent left, that balance between the left and the right pelvic height. Yeah. So it's usually due to an old mechanical injury, usually on the same side as the hip that seems higher. But this is also tapping into a deep reflex in the body called the withdrawal reflex that we're all born with. And if you watch YouTube videos of babies with their feet being put on a table, you'll see the baby hike up their foot in response to that. It's not just the leg that's hiking up. It's the whole waist and ribcage musculature. So when we have these old injuries, our brain, even though our brain overrides these deeper reflexes as we grow, they're still present in our body. And so when we're, there is something wrong on one side of our body, your brain is slowly adapting to that, hiking that hip up to avoid whatever that issue is. It's all happening subconsciously, so you're not really aware of it. And all you, your brain cares about is that you're getting from A to B without pain. So this is how these things are developing unconsciously in our bodies without our being aware of it. Yeah. So I think the, the bottom line here is look for everything else going on and whether this may be compensation in your life for something else. 
You also mentioned that besides back pain, the next two most common areas of pain are neck and head pain. How do you approach those? Yeah, so the surprising secret to neck pain and headaches is that it has almost nothing to do with neck pain and headaches. <laughs> really, what's going on is, and we're talking about chronic pain, not some acute issue that you've just developed from maybe a car accident. Most chronic neck pain and headaches is actually due to the shoulder girdle system. And so if those of you who are listening, if you Google the skeleton, you'll see that the, and you look at the back of the skeleton, you'll see that we have these shoulder blades. And the architecture of that shoulder blade is very, there's only one other bone in the body that has an architecture similar to this. And that's one of our pelvic bones. We know that the pelvis is the center of function for our lower body system and back system. Similarly, the shoulder blade is the center of function for our upper body system. And there are significant attachments from that shoulder blade into the neck and the base of the skull. Fix the shoulder blade system and you fix the chronic neck pain and dressers. And I can't remember the last time I've treated someone with chronic headaches. I don't care whether they're migraines or tension headaches or whatever, that it has not been the shoulder girdle system. And I have a really easy test for your listeners if you want to go into how to test whether this is the case for you. Do you hear that? Yes. Okay. So the, it's really easy. You're going to need two people. So you are one of the people who have pain. So what you're going to do is you're going to turn your head side to side, look up and down and get a sense for the restriction in your neck motion, the pain that you're having, all that kind of stuff. You're going to have someone, preferably someone who you really trust, come up behind you and they're going to stick their hands in your armpits like this. And they're going to lift shoulders up about a half inch to an inch higher than normal. Your job is to let them. You've got to let that shoulder system go so that they are lifting it instead of you. That's going to be hard for a lot of people. So then once that's up there and you jiggle it around a little bit to make sure that they're relaxed, then you turn your head side to side, look up and down again and see whether your neck can turn further without pain or your pain goes away completely right off the bat. So if it does, then you've got a positive test that your shoulder girdle system is the cause of most of your neck pain and headache. Now, some people will say, oh, no difference. So then the second part of the test is you lower the shoulder girdle system back down. And once you put the weight of that system back on the neck and head, then they feel it. They're just like, oh my gosh, oh, this feels, I love it so much more with your hands in there. Uh, I get it now. It is my shoulder. And so I've developed a taping technique to solve this quickly for people while we fix the mechanical reasons why it's occurring. But anyway, it's, I call it the armpit test <laughs> more because we, we have enough, we have enough medical sounding tests in our, in our daughter. To, we need something that's more descriptive of really what it is. It's an armpit test. So it's very effective. And it is most of you who have chronic neck pain or headaches. I can almost guarantee it's because no one's really Addressed your shoulder girdle system. Yeah. And so often where you're experiencing pain is the result of something happening somewhere else in the body. So it's well worth looking at that. And then how, you know, you mentioned that most physical therapists are treating the, oh, actually, I need to ask this in the, in the next segment, but I want to ask when we come back again, why there is this fragmentation you've noticed with us treating parts of the body and treating ourselves as individual components, not holistically the way you're recommending. So we'll get into that when we come back. Please come back in a few moments. We're going to commercial break now you're listening to high energy health for more on rick's work go to his website rickolderman.com we'll be right back after a break hello and welcome back to high energy health I am your high-energy host, Dawson Church, and as you can tell, I love doing what I do. I love sharing. I wake up every day so full of inspiration and energy, 
I don't know where to put it all. So I put it all into classes and workshops and books and this show and many other concrete ways of expressing it. And I want you to have that connection to your sense of potential as well and be expressing it fully in the world. So do what it takes to do that. Use the tools on the show, apply them in your life, and you'll find things can really shift for you. For more on the work of Rick Olderman, our guest, go to his website, rickolderman.com. For more on my newest book, This Brain, go to my website, blissbrain.com. Rick, you touched on something earlier that is a phenomenon that has been noted for for a century now, which is the increasing fragmentation and specialization of medicine and at least healing in the sense of the kinds of healing we get in the hospital or clinic allopathic medicine, where people are just treated as components. Like I had a little skin lesion removed late recently, and it was so funny that the surgeon walked into the walked into the room. He didn't look at me. He didn't glance left or right. He went straight, grabbed my arm where the lesion was, and looked at the lesion. To the surgeon, I was the lesion. <laughs> and then when I was having the stitches removed a while later, two weeks later, the nurse said to me, he does superb work. He's really good at what he does. So he's good at that one little fragment. <laughs> he's really good at that one little fragment of medicine, but not seeing people as a whole. And you're talking about how this has happened in your field. And just let's speculate. Just let your mind do some free association between why we've gone that direction in healing and what we can do to get back to that integral picture. I've thought about this a lot, and, and I believe it's because the gold standard in medicine is that you need to have evidence. Everything needs to be evidence-based, and you cannot conduct evidence or a research project that doesn't isolate one variable. If you have more than one variable, it's very difficult to come up with a research product that can test more than one. So we have to isolate things. Well, the consequence of isolating things is that we look at ever smaller and smaller things to isolate. And But the problem is there's no body in medicine that's putting things back into the big picture again. That's left up to the practitioner. And so based on the practitioner's belief system, they're going to put it back where they feel it's necessary, not maybe where it would help their patients the most. And so I found this out when I was taking a course in physical therapy. I made friends with another PT. This course was amazing. It helped me become I'm a great physical therapist. At the end of all of these courses, it was several months of these courses, I talked to him and I said, hey, how's this going for you? And he said, oh, it's going great. But you know, I'm a manual therapist, so I might just use this for a home exercise program. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is really solving chronic pain. He says, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. So eh, I probably won't use it. So that's when I realized that our belief systems that we have as medical practitioners, it happens in law and almost any other industry too, but our belief systems are filtering out things that could possibly help us. Well, in medicine, the things that automatically get filtered out are things that aren't in research, right? If they're not in a research paper, they're not going to be noticed. And if you don't believe that the shoulder blade is going to be affecting the head, you're not going to be looking for research that looks at the shoulder blade affecting the head. You cited a bunch of research yourself. It exists out there, but practitioners aren't looking at it. So that's the two reasons, our belief systems, as well as the fact that you can't conduct research on systems of things because there's just too many variables to isolate to determine whether one thing is working versus another. Interesting. So because research and science has that view of isolating one variable among all the others and controlling for the other variables, we've learned 
to focus in this fragmentary way. Um, that is, yeah, that is one reason why this is, is happening. And then there are practitioners like you who are looking beyond that. And even when you look beyond the the parts of the body and the, the patient's issues that are covered by your profession, you go look for other things that are happening that might be having an impact on that. So uh, that's powerful. What are some of the, the common things that are non-physiological you find are resulting in people coming to see you for chronic pain? Well, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning. My, my approach is usually pretty consistent. So if someone isn't responding to it, I know something else is up. And I find that there's a large percentage of people with a dietary issue where there's an inflammatory response. Now, I can't diagnose that, but I refer them to a dietitian or nutritionist or someone like that, a functional medicine doctor, naturopath, something like that, who can test more completely that system of function and determine whether there's something's going on. At the most, I'll tell people, hey, why don't you cut out, you know, pasta and bread for a few weeks and see if you start feeling better. That's about the limit of my knowledge. And then the other thing that I find is that, you know, when you work with someone, you learn to read their body and their their responses to things. And so when someone has an exaggerated response to a stimulus I, I give them, I think, oh, wow, this person has a lot of mental tension going on here because that's an unwarranted response to what I've just. And so that I keep that in the back of my mind. And if they then don't respond to my approach, then I think, okay, I wonder if they've got an anxiety issue. And almost every time I talk to some, I mention this, they look up at me and they're just like, how did you know? You know, and it's not rocket science. You're way too tense. And so if you're a really tense person, you know, it's unpleasant to look down these roads sometimes. But you have to consider that if you have chronic pain and you have a lot of, you know, anxiety or tension, you need to look into solving that or helping you solve that to reduce one of the batteries that's locking your body into these painful patterns of dysfunction that you're caught in. Absolutely. And it shows up in the body. In the words of my dear friend, Bessel van der Kolk, in his best-selling book, The Body Keeps the Score. And just in the last minute, Rick, just uh, love to know, you are a guy who's overflowing with joy and passion and caring for other people. Where does that come from? Oh, gosh. Well, it comes from, as you know, the work I do. It just brings me such great joy to help people. I get so excited to see someone, you know, and help them and make a difference <laughs> in their life. I can't think of anything that is more exciting than changing someone's life in a positive way like that. I know it sounds corny, but it's really true. I get so excited about this stuff. And mainly because I know they've come to me because they haven't heard this. So I know it's going to make a difference for them. And it usually does. And so I'm excited to see that change. Yeah, it is yeah, wonderful to see people, wonderful. especially who've been suffering for a long, long time, chronic pain, as in people that you help that are now shifting, their lives change, their minds change, their bodies change, and suddenly their lives are much better. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I have so enjoyed connecting with you. And thanks again for your, your wonderful work. Thank you. I so enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Every blessing. And for those of you listening, go ahead and apply these lessons in your life. See what all the components of your well-being are, where they come from, what more you can do. Apply these methods and techniques. Do those little tests that Rick, Rick showed you. And then also ask yourself, what else can I do nutritionally? What else can I do psychologically to support my well-being? Till next time, go be happy, be healthy, and enjoy your best possible life. Thank you. 